Hi, I'm Ayala Marinovich. Welcome back to Strength in Words, a family enrichment program for parents, caregivers, and infants and toddlers of all developmental levels. In this podcast series, we get together to sing a few songs, discuss some ideas for play, outline some insight about early development, and talk about life as a parent or caregiver in these early years of parenthood. Strength in Words is the place for families to help their infants and toddlers learn and develop through high-quality, evidence-based resources and through connections to other parents and professionals. This podcast was recorded with a live virtual audience and followed by a question and answer workshop with our guest. To be part of the next live workshop and to connect with a community of support, you can join the Strength in Words Community Lab by heading to community.strengthinwords.com. I am a mother of two young children and a pediatric speech-language pathologist. I specialize in work with very young children, and when I had my own babies, I fully recognized the need to empower all parents and caregivers with access to enriching information about all things early parenthood and early childhood. The mission of Strength in Words is to share that information by offering parent education programming and to promote caregiver-baby interaction by offering a supportive, uplifting space for all families to connect and learn through information, access to new ideas, and access to each other. All suggested activities are meant to be enjoyed by your baby under close adult supervision. For a more complete story of Strength in Words, please listen to my introduction episode or visit my website, strengthinwords.com. If you enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll take just a moment of your time to leave a review on iTunes. This allows us to reach more families and share our values of education, simplicity, and respect when it comes to early learning and early parenthood. Hello everybody, hello everybody, it's nice to see you here today. Hello everybody, hello everybody, it's nice to see you here. We can start by saying hello to the people who are with us. Hello to Ayelet, hello to the singers, hello, 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 hello to the babies, hello to the toddlers, hello, hello, hello. Since I don't know your name, I'll help you sing the song and you can fill it in. Ready? Hello to your child's name, hello to your name, hello. Hello, 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 everybody, hello, everybody, hello, hello, hello. Today we are speaking with Eras Padoli and Andrea Skajowicz, who have raised two multilingual children in the San Francisco Bay Area. Let's give them a special welcome. Hello to Eras, hello to Andrea, hola, shalom, hello, hello, hello to all our new friends, hello to all our old friends, hello, 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 one last time, hello everybody, hello everybody, it's nice to see you here today, hello everybody, hello everybody, it's nice to see you here. Welcome to episode 62 of the Strength in Words podcast. Today I am speaking with Eros Podoli and Andrea Skajowicz, who are parents of two school-aged children in the San Francisco Bay Area. Eros and Andrea grew up speaking Hebrew and Spanish respectively and decided to raise their children in a multilingual environment. Though their experience is not unique per se, it is one that gives us all insight into the realities of raising a multilingual family 
That's why I am so pleased to have them here to join us today to lend us their perspective. So Erez and Andrea, thank you for being here and welcome to the Strength in Words podcast. Good morning, and thank you for having us. So I've asked you to come on to the show today to speak just about your experiences as parents raising a multilingual family. But first, I'd love to just hear a bit about each of your backgrounds. So, you know, where you grew up, what languages were spoken in your homes and community. Erez, let's start with you, if that's okay. Sure, sure. Again, uh, thank you for the introduction and uh, for the invitation. Um, as you said, I'm the proud father of two kids, a 13-year-old boy and a 9-year-old girl. Uh, I'm uh, the proud spouse of a brilliant scientist, Andrea will present uh, herself in a minute. Grew, was born in the U.S. and uh, to uh, Israeli students who took me later back to Israel. So I spent most of my life in Israel and spoke mostly Hebrew learned the English as a second language at school. It is interesting, actually, your story, because you were born here in the U.S., but then you moved back to Israel, where you spoke Hebrew. And I assume when you were... <laughs> actually, they, they insisted yeah. Yeah, on, on Hebrew exclusively. Yeah, it was funny. Yeah, so... I had so, a language and I lost it. <laughs> right, you had a bilingual experience, but then it was gone. We'll talk a bit more about that and how that sort of influenced you in, in just a moment. But Andrea, let's hear from you as well. Hi, I was born in South America, in Uruguay. I lived there half of my life, <laughs> speaking mainly Spanish. I did learn English as a second language, but when I went to school, there was no English at school. So my parents, they sent me to private lessons that I had after school. So most of the people my age, that their parents didn't come pay for English lessons, they don't know English. And when I was in my 20s, I moved to Israel. I didn't know Hebrew, and I started studying chemistry in the university, and I somehow I picked up the Hebrew along the way. I <laughs> met Erez, my husband, and I learned Hebrew. Yeah. So I became trilingual when I was in my 20s. Yeah, amazing. We had our first son while living in Israel, and after a couple of years, we moved to the Bay Area, and that's how we became a trilingual family. Right. <laughs> amazing. So I think the question I'd love to ask you next is really, you know, did you have a plan per se for how to go about raising a multilingual family or did you mostly just wing it? And then also, what was the sort of strategy you used? For instance, did you each speak your native tongue exclusively? How did you do it? Let's hear it. I think that at the beginning when Ophir, our son was born, for me, it was more natural to speak in Spanish. Mm -hmm. Because I grew, you know, that was my mother language, language and, and that's how I communicated with him. We did know that it's recommended to stick with, to one language. Mm -hmm. For example, I stick to Spanish and Eris stick to Hebrew. And that's what we did at the beginning. But it was a little bit more complicated than that because Eris was picking up the Spanish as well. So Yeah, yeah exactly. I think one thing led to the other in a way. You know, it was important to me to learn Spanish even before we had kids. So I took Spanish classes at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem mm -hmm. while doing my undergrad in chemistry and later my PhD. And we spoke, we spoke to each other, actually two languages, Hebrew and Spanish. I think it mm -hmm. was a weird mixture of, of both, you know, like a, was a Hebrewish. <laughs> Hebrewish. <laughs> you know, some kind of a mixture. 
And only if you knew the two languages, you could actually capture what's going on. Yes, we did speak to our first child two languages, but actually it was a continuation of that gibberish. <laughs> you know, it was not very didactic in, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And only, I think, when we moved to the U.S. and added a third language to the portfolio of languages, then we developed a strategy. But it didn't start to speak anything, <laughs> say <a> first words <laughs> later. Compared to other babies, mm. how much was, later? Well, I started after he was two, and and it was it was very interesting to see because I used to, you know there were other kids that were already saying the first words of 10, 11 months, and Ophir was saying nothing. Mm-hmm. But after he turned two, two and a couple of months, he just started rushing through both languages. Wow! It was amazing. I mean, they take longer than kids that grow up with one language, mm-hmm. but when they start, they pick up both. Right. And it happened also to our daughter. Mm-hmm. Our daughter was more complicated because she was born here mm-hmm. and she heard three languages. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not to. In the ver- from the very beginning, right? Yeah, because at home we had Spanish and Hebrew, and mm-hmm. she went to daycare and, and for since she was like seven, eight months, mm-hmm. and that was in English. Yes. So again, just to recap, the home languages were, of course, each child would hear one, essentially one language from each of you, yeah. with Andrea speaking Spanish and Erez speaking Hebrew. And then the language that you spoke together to each other was sort of a pidgin or as they say, pidgin language of, as you refer to it as Spangbrew or (laughs) either way. You know, it's um, it's funny because it was fascinating to follow the process of of your our first child was Mm -hmm. going through when we arrived at the U.S. We thought that he would be more comfortable in Hebrew. We looked for Hebrew-speaking languages, but and for four months he didn't say a word in English. Of course, they were bilingual: Hebrew and in English. Mm -hmm. And for four months, I think, Andy, please correct me if I'm wrong. She was mumbling the accent, the American accent, in a ah. meaningful way. He was like with his trains, he, he loved trains back then. And then he was like, rrr, rrr, rrr. and slowly he started adding words. Like he would play, rrr, rrr, yes, rrr, rrr, stop, rrr, rrr, no. <laughs> It, it was it was very interesting to see how by four months after arriving here he was fluent in English he was speaking without any problem the perfect accent and that's another thing about him he has the right accent in each one of the three languages yes that's that is amazing what you described as gibberish is the technical term within language learning and linguistics is called jargon, right? Which is that like all of the sort of intonations and this and the speech sounds of of a specific language without the content, right? And we know that in general, even with any child who's learning language, whether it's a monolingual child, bilingual, multilingual, that you will hear those early communication milestones that we know preclude verbal language before uh, in in all of the language or languages that that child is exposed to. So if the child is hearing Mandarin, then the babbling and the jargon will be using the intonations and the sounds of the language or languages that that child speaks. So that's really interesting and, and wonderful to hear that I also wanted to just say to anyone listening that 
of course, this is, this is you guys. This is your experience, your family's experience. To anyone else who's listening who has or is considering raising a bilingual or multilingual family, it may look very different to you. And some children, you'll see that those first words appear later and some won't. It's totally different. And I think it does depend on you know, the number of languages, the amount being spoken, what also the home languages being spoken between the parents are. So perhaps, you know, Ophir had to deduce because he was listening to the two of you speak together, this sort of combination language, he took some time to to figure out, okay, well, they're speaking to me very specifically when they're talking to me, but then when they're talking to each other, it's a little different. So, and there again, there's no right or wrong approach to this. Just like there's no right or wrong approach to parenting, right? I have to tell you something interesting about what you just commanded. You know, we thought he doesn't have the ability to separate this weird mixture that we've created. But he, you know, right at the beginning, when in some a peculiar way he could identify someone who is who could speak only one of the language uh-huh. and address this person with one clean language, with using just words and vocabulary and grammar for one language yeah. and we that was so surprising and overwhelming that we do, couldn't understand how did he figure it out that's that was do, do you remember that Andy? yeah i think and also for us uh, for me at least uh, the spanish was a need <laughs> because many of my family members they don't speak english very well I really wanted our kids to be able to communicate with that part of the family. So for me, there was no doubt that my kids need to speak Spanish, Mm -hmm. even though we don't live in a speaking Spanish country. And I think that that was kind of something that we always kept in mind. And I think that's also the reason why Erez picked up Spanish also. And he found Mm -hmm. that if he wanted to communicate with my family, he had to speak Spanish. So I think that's what we also transmitted to all of it these years, that that's who we are, that's how our family works, and that's how, I mean, we have to. Yeah. And, and the other thing I wanted to add is that we mentioned here that at the beginning we stick to one language and I would address them in Spanish and Eris in Hebrew, but as kids grow up, yeah. especially if they grow up in an English-speaking country like we are now, it changes. Yes. It's <laughs> because they live and breathe and play and, 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 and feel in English now. It doesn't mean they forgot the languages. Mm-hmm. They both read, speak very well Hebrew and Spanish. Mm-hmm. But I think that we, at some point, we have to kind of give up that telling them like, no, please speak to me in Spanish or no, please speak to me in Hebrew. Because they spend their whole day in English. And it happened to, to Ophir when, if you remember, is when he would come back from school in first grade, it was, I think, he, I was like, we were, how was your day? Either one of the languages. And he would start speaking in English. Mm-hmm. And then we would say, okay, can you try to say that in Spanish or in Hebrew? And, <laughs> and at some point he said, he started saying, whatever. Like, I don't want to make this effort. Right. <laughs> we decided to no. We decided to kind of give up. Okay, you want to tell me in English? We wanted communication with our yeah. son about more than him being trilingual. Right. And then, yeah. So we, we gave them both of them the freedom to express themselves in English, but amazingly, they do it in the three languages now. 
Mm. I mean, if from our experience, at least from mine, is if you don't force them, they will address you in the language you want them to do. Sometimes they will do it in English, mm-hmm. but they know they have it and they use it. And they use it when they want to. It's 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 amazing because they use it when they want to give like have like a more like personal conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, something like you know, even if you are arguing or if you are kind of saying something, you know, more like you know, love you, I love you, and stuff like. They will use the language in different circumstances. It's amazing to see how they choose. They now they choose either language to say mm-hmm. different things. You know, fascinating freedom. Yeah, and I've, I've seen other families that they kind of address their kids and tell them, "No, say that in English, or say that in Spanish, or say that in in, in Hebrew." Mm-hmm. And it's a trade-off if you want communication or you want the language. But I right. think that if you let them be and let them say what they want to say in the language they want to say, eventually they will come back to the, the language you want. That's very interesting. I would love to hear a bit about what would you consider the most surprising challenges that you had in raising a multilingual family? I, I think I'll take two, but I think that the most surprising challenge was the difference between siblings, mm. between or two kids. Now, while one is, a, I'd say, even a natural talent with languages, the other one struggles. So we asked ourselves, actually, what did we, we do? Of course, you as a parent want to take responsibility or you... <laughs> We take the blame on you. We have guilty feelings. And I think that the answer actually was very simple and interesting uh, for parents. With one, we started with two languages, as we already told. And with the other one, was exposing immediately to three languages. I'm not sure that can be a rule of thumb or it can be generalized, but I think it's easier to start with two languages and maybe three is little too much. For her, perhaps. Exactly. I think it depends also on the kid. Mm-hmm. Some kids, you know, are better with languages than others. And I think that it also can influence. But I think that also, maybe at the beginning, our daughter was a little bit, it was a little bit harder for her. But I think now she's getting way, way better in all of the languages. She's also in the Spanish immersion program. Mm-hmm. Mm. at the school so that helps a lot mm. and it's we're very you know grateful that we live in this area where you can send your kids to a Spanish immersion program or, yeah. and there's also I think Mandarin immersion programs and I think mm. those are great for kids if you want to embrace a, a multilingual kid. Yeah that's amazing. What were some of the kinds of struggles can you just give us a little bit of a sense of the kinds of things that she struggled with? Well I think that I mentioned a little bit of a that struggle before it was a little bit frustrating sometimes when they don't speak to you in the language you want them to speak. Sure. But I think that we kind of gave up a little bit, but it paid off because it didn't stop them from speaking the language. And I think that you can go back and tell your kids, no, say that in that language, say that in Spanish, or say that in Hebrew. But I don't know, maybe other parents are better than us. We couldn't <laughs> make them say it again in another language. Especially with our son. Our daughter, actually, she's better than that. She will try and say it in another language when Mm. we ask. We try not to, because again, we want more communication. But we do, I mean, there's a lot of work when you raise multilingual kids. You know, they take lessons. They learn how to read and write outside school in in, in those languages. Mm -hmm. They have to do homework, which they don't like. It's not everything pink and... (laughs) 
I'm happy. <laughs> but um, and nowadays it's part of who we are and, and yeah. our family. And let me add one more thing that mm-hmm. we do. We actually make sure that they have friends speaking mm. those languages. Mm-hmm. So, so you've sought out language. those communities. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so we're engaged with two communities. So let's say the Spanish-speaking uh, language uh, community and the Hebrew mm-hmm. speakers here in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. So we make sure they can reach out and, and actually socialize in those languages. Because it's like any other skill, it's a use it or lose it thing. So you have to use it. And most of the time, you know, there are kids, they're, they hang around with friends, especially when they grow up. And that becomes more and more significant. How do they interact with friends? Mm-hmm. So, of course, yeah, these friends are, speak English. Sometimes this is the common ground and they end up speaking English, but not only. Right. So it is a combination. Books all the time in both oh, yeah. That's something we didn't mention. I always used to read Spanish books and Erez Hebrew books all over the year. It's always Spanish and Hebrew. And even, you know, when they started elementary school and they have to do their like 20 minutes, whatever, reading every day, you know, we spoke to teachers Mm. and they said it's okay to read in any language. So Mm. we would do like the reading in Spanish or Hebrew because they pick up English very fast. You don't have to worry about the English. Right, right. Because the the English is the academic language and often the social language because it's the community language. That's really interesting. And I think it's really a wonderful thing that the teachers were aware of the fact that it's the learning to read that's the important part, not necessarily the learning to read in a specific language, especially considering that those two literary systems, for instance, the written word of Hebrew is technically even directionally the other side, which is a fascinating additional component to add too, right? So that's really cool harder for them to read Hebrew than Spanish, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Right. It's less like their academic language of, of yeah, English. It's a different yeah. alphabet. Yeah. It's a different direction. Everything's mm-hmm. it, It's a language that doesn't have vowels. Right. So you actually have to <laughs> memorize so many words and you don't appreciate it until you actually have to teach the language to someone else <laughs> from scratch. And then you understand how many things should be memorized. Do you guys have any other surprising challenges that you'd like to share? No, I don't think, no. I think it's it's more it's more like advantages than challenges. That's great, good. <laughs> I, I, I mentioned another challenge. You know, you, a bedtime story is a, you know, your time with a kid, the best time of the day, maybe. And, and sometimes they want the easy way, they want to hear English. They want mm. to listen to a uh, story in English and, you know, it's an effort for them yeah. to listen to another language while they just want to fade out into their dreams. And uh, I'm now 13 years with a, with a fear. You know, with the years, of course, it's not just simple language, complicated yeah. vocabulary, more, you know, register is higher and that's, it's, then it's demanding. It's a... Mm-hmm concentrated, focused uh, listening. And that's that's a hard choice to make for so many years. And it, it's work. It's not a challenge so much like as, as it is a work that you have to do. And, and they, you need a commitment from both sides to do that. It's You cannot just do that alone. You're a collaborator on the other side. Right. Your your co-parent or co-caregiver really has to be on board oh, with you. The kids. And, oh, got it. <laughs> 
no, no. The collaborator is the key. You have to recruit yes. them. They have to be on board. Or, you know, they just say, hey, well, maybe I don't, let's give up. I don't want a story. And it tells you that they like the story. They like that time of the day, but they don't want to make the effort. And it's a challenge. It's so hard for you because you love this time and you choose to do something difficult for the kid rather than just what they want. Right. Well, and I think that really goes into what you were saying earlier, Andrea, about how you have to make that decision about what it is that's important to you at that moment. Is the most important thing to just simply have that communication or to just simply have that moment at bedtime or is the most important thing to communicate or is the most important thing to enforce that this is a time for investing in that multilingual environment? And again, I think, of course, it is a different decision for every family and it's a different, I mean, I'm sure many families have very different stories of success, varying degrees of success of how how they've fared with whatever decisions they've made. And like everything else in parenting, I'm sure there are moments where you think, oh gosh, I'm doing it wrong, you know, because we all feel that way about pretty much everything related to parenthood, I think, at, at many times, so... I think, I think that we, we did kind of, I'm going to give you an example. We give our kids freedom to express themselves in any language they want. If they address us, we will answer them. Mm-hmm. We will answer them in mostly not in English, but we will listen to them even if they speak English. And more and more, they use a combination of the language. What Enes was saying about how we started speaking between us. For example, the other day we were at our friend's house and our son came and he was talking to me and he used the three languages in the same sentence. And I didn't really notice that because <laughs> we were so used to that. And my friend was sitting there and she was like, you just noticed what he did. He started in Spanish, he moved to English and he finished in Hebrew. <laughs> And, and our family is special in that sense that when we speak, if you don't know the three languages, you won't understand us. It's <laughs> <laughs> also an advantage, I think, for a little secret language that we've made up. And yes, a big component of it is English, but it's because they feel more comfortable with it and they can express their feelings and, and we, you want that with your kids. You want yeah. them to tell you what they feel and what they want and you want them to be open but they I don't know how we did it but they still have both the capability of expressing themselves in the three languages mm-hmm. it's amazing it's just it's such a gift that you've given them and it seems like in some way you've been able to show them that it is a gift as well which is really yeah. cool they use it really smart in a smart <laughs> way when they want us address us and they don't want people to know what they're asking for so they will use it and it's an advantage definitely let's take just a brief break to hear a word from our sponsors and then we'll hear a few tips and some resources from Erez and Andrea about raising those bilingual or multilingual families and maybe a few tips about how you've done it if you can parse any of that out We were not meant to parent in isolation. The Strength in Words Community Lab brings you peace of mind. You have what matters when you need it most. We are your parenting brain trust, the place where you can have adult conversations about your baby's babbling and where you're lifted up rather than bogged down. If you are a parent or caregiver with an infant and or a toddler, we are both an early parent support and parent education hub. 
We're a group of families connected by the shared experience of early parenthood and strong believers in the notion that co-parenting and a positive, nurturing environment can make us each stronger. The Community Lab is an all-in-one resource that is not one-size-fits-all. Join us in finding joy in the mayhem at community.strengthinwords.com. Okay, Andrea and Erez, let's hear a few tips. So can you share with us your own medley of sort of top tips for families who are either, you know, considering or just starting or even well on their way to raising children in a multilingual environment? I'm guessing at the beginning, sticking to the same language, Mm -hmm. one person, one language, always, Mm -hmm. especially when they're babies and toddlers. So they get, yeah, they know that that's what you stick to them. Reading also, Mm -hmm. reading in that language, later on when you introduce media (laughs) to kids also, watch cartoons or whatever they watch in that language. Mm -hmm. That's a great way to, you know, they want to watch something on the iPad. Okay, you can watch, but in Spanish or in Hebrew or whatever. Mm-hmm. TV can be also very helpful. Yeah, especially as you said later on when they're a bit older and they're parsing it yeah. all out. What about music? Did you find that music was a useful tool? Yes, but I think music, we we used definitely a lot of Spanish music mm-hmm. when our, our kids were little, but also all kinds of music, yeah. Music is something that also, I think it also helps with the languages. Yep. Music has a lot of influence in, in languages. Yeah, we've spoken about that a lot on Strength and Words podcast episodes in the past about how music is a series of patterns when you hear a song it's it's within a pattern just as a sentence has you know grammar and pauses and punctuation that's something that you hear as well so yes I think it, there's a lot of overlap for sure what else can you give us well I have three tips I think great tip one is push Tip two is don't push. <laughs> and tip three is pull. And I just wrote small notes for myself. So, you know, push is, you know, we're all aware of, we're all aware of the critical period a hypothesis, hypothesis suggesting mm-hmm. that there is an ideal time window, an early age to acquire languages, after which, you know, further language acquisitions becomes more difficult. Not mm-hmm. impossible, but difficult. So, as Andrea mentioned, she learned two languages at her 20s. But this is tip one and one. We have a time window push. Tip two is do not push. Human beings have different capabilities to learn. As we've mentioned, you know, it can be related to math or literature and, and as well as languages. Mm-hmm. And tip three is pull. Just bring on board is, you know, create attractive opportunities for the kids to speak other languages. And, and Andrea mentioned there a few Introduce them to family members and friends who are monoglobic people, the person that speak, can speak only one single language and speak other languages at the dinner table, mm-hmm. also like Andrea mentioned. And kids become, you probably know that as a parent, kids become the best listeners, especially where they're not supposed to listen. <laughs> well said, yes. <laughs> or adults in conversation. And then, you know, they can read the commas in between the words. That's, that's amazing. And of course, all the things that we've mentioned, you asked about music, of course. Mm-hmm. And it's a wonderful way to teach a language. 
And culture yeah. too, I think as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and different traditions mm-hmm. and bedtime reading, the bedtime story, and all those things that we touched upon in the, this uh, the past uh, 10, 20 minutes. And then can you share with us just a few of your favorite resources that have helped you along the way? What were some of the places that you went, if you have you know books or websites or researchers or anything like that? I think... <laughs> <laughs> we didn't we just looked for the content that they were interested in mm-hmm. in the other languages for example when our our son was little he used to watch like thomas and dora so we would get those in spanish yes. or hebrew uh, i don't know my, our daughter was really into princesses and all that stuff so we would get her like princesses book in spanish and movies and all the what they hear outside the house at school whatever so to try to give them that in the other language yes more than i think that was what we did mostly more than like kind of um, more professional tool we mm-hmm. just gave them one that they wanted in a different language and that, of course, relates to Ariz's tip about the pulling, pulling them in, pull it for, yeah, I think that's, and it's I think don't push too much. If they want, they don't want to communicate to you, with you in the language that you want, just let them. If you know the, the other language is there, if you know you've invested, especially you have to kind of commit to since they're born. Yeah. Like really since they're born. Like when you're changing their diapers after they left the hospital, you talk to them in another language since then. Well, Teresa and Andrea, thanks so much for being here. And thanks to all our Community Lab members who are here listening live. We are going to continue the discussion and open up for a Q&A session for you guys in just a minute. But for everyone listening from home or on the go, thanks so much for joining us and we will see you next time. Thanks, Ayala. Thanks so much. Thanks for being here, see you later. What will you do the rest of your day? Goodbye to the babies, goodbye to the toddlers, goodbye bigger kids, goodbye to the siblings, goodbye to the grown-ups, goodbye to the singers, goodbye Ayala, goodbye to the music we laughed and we played. We're getting very clever, this is what counts being here together. Thanks so much, everyone. The Strength in Words podcast brings you information, tips, and resources about all things early parenthood and early childhood. The place to synthesize that information, share your struggles and concerns, and add your own ideas and experiences is the Strength in Words Community Lab. Head to community.strengthinwords.com and request to join today. Do you like the hello and goodbye songs we feature on each episode? You can find those and a whole host of other songs on our Strength in Words Music for Families album, available for purchase straight from our website at strengthinwords.com slash musicforfamilies or on iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Digital Music. If you haven't yet done so, please leave a review of the Strength in Words podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. That helps other people find the good work we're doing. And after you've done that, go ahead and share Strength in Words with a friend or colleague. See you next time. <laughs>